0: This is Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison. One of the top leaders of Color of Change is Arisha Hatch, and she's emerged as one of the sharpest and most powerful advocates for the justice and rights of African-Americans in this country, and actually progressive issues for everyone. And there have been some tremendous campaigns that Color of Change PAC has been behind, including one that led to the downfall of Bill O'Reilly and led to some amazing people getting elected. Uh, So stay tuned for Arisha Hatch. Arisha Hatch is director of Color of Change uh,
1: Political Action Committee, and she joins us here on Democracy and Color. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. I'm so excited to be here. My plane was delayed last night, and I was worried that I wouldn't make it, but I'm so happy. You're here. You're you're here in Oakland,
0: yes. uh, which we both know and love. Yes. And you're just coming from Philly. What were you doing in Philly?
1: Yes. We've been working really hard, Color of Change PAC, along with lots of other groups in Philadelphia, um, to elect... A district attorney, Larry Krasner, in the Democratic primary that we thought and we felt that would more uh, represent our our members and the things that they want to see in the world in terms of criminal justice reform. And so we've been campaigning for weeks with groups on the ground like 215 PA and Reclaim Philadelphia and other groups like Working Working Families Party uh, to really talk to voters and for us to speak to black voters about the importance of voting in a local off-year race. And we just think it's so interesting that every four years during the presidential race, there's so much attention is given and money is spent uh, and airwaves are dedicated to this big national races that have implications for our lives. But at the local level, a district attorney makes daily decisions, thousands of daily decisions that really impact our communities. Things like whether to go for a plea deal or to charge or to push for bail. And uh, we think that black voters especially understand how important it is to have someone in the district attorney's office who really values the black community, who is going to take a reformist approach to criminal justice, not come in with that same old tough on crime rhetoric that we often see, and so we've been texting Black voters. But we well, you te- take it.
0: wait, I just want to—the the texting program—is that something that uh, you, Color of Change PAC kind of? initiated invented is using in these races well
1: it's a new it's a new form of voter engagement work and uh, we along with several other groups sort of began to pioneer uh, the use of texting and SMS technology to engage with voters one of the things that we really invented and that we're really proud of are these community events that we've been hosting called textathons where color of change members and their friends and family come on out to an event space they have their laptops and they're texting black voters Voters. There's mimosas and brunch and... Wait, Beyonce. drinking drinking and texting. It's the best and GOTV <laughs> experience you can ever have. Oh, well, it sounds amazing. Um, and so we did that through the November election, folks texting Black voters on important district attorneys' races or about the presidential race. Um, and really, uh, we like to think that we're trying to empower Black joy through these events. We know we live in really difficult, stressful, anxiety-filled political times, and part of the travesty of the world that we're living in now is the complete suppression of black joy. And so we're trying to build a grassroots movement that's led by black folks and their and our allies who are really going to engage at the local level on these races that we think really impact. Well, let, let me ask
0: you, why did the Larry Krasner, which, by the way, you won that yes. race. So congratulations yes. on that. And to all the people on the ground that you we were mentioning that worked hard to get him elected, why did Larry Krasner's race for D.A. and the fact that he's D.A. of Philadelphia matter so much?
1: Right. So Philadelphia is one of the largest incarcerators um, in the country. Uh, Lots of black folks obviously live in Philadelphia and are p- impacted by the criminal justice system. And so uh, there were, I believe, 12 candidates in the primary, and we got them together in a forum. And as we went through the issues that we cared about, where ha- where do you stand on cash bail? Where do you stand on um, the death penalty? Where do you stand on holding police officers accountable when they when they uh, are responsible for misconduct? Um, and issue after issue, it was clear to us that Larry Krasner was for the people he's a public defender by trade he's he's defended both Occupy Wall Street and movement for black lives and so we thought it was just it would just be so meaningful for Philadelphians and, and black Philadelphians specifically to have a district attorney in the office who comes from a public defender sort of stance and so we were it was an uphill battle there's a lot of reasons why um, he might not have won most people think that the Democrat, whoever came out of the primary, will win in the general election. But we want to make sure that the most progressive uh, person gets into office.
0: Uh, So he won the primary and he's going to be facing a general in November? Yes. Or is it not November? It's a... It's that's, coming up, and it's, it's coming up. I'm actually yeah, not sure. Yeah, it's it's the next, but it's such a Democratic Party heavy town that it's yes, likely yes. that the Democrat would yes, win anyway.
1: Yes, and there and the, but there were differences between the candidates that we thought were meaningful, and um, and that's why it was important for us uh, as Color of Change Pack as an organization that really believes that prosecutors play. An extremely powerful role in this broader criminal justice system, and if we can pick, uh, take on races where there are actually there's actual opposition, um, where there there are differences in candidates, we believe that if we can get those folks in in, in office, that they are more likely to be held accountable to us. So I read in uh, in 2016. Color Change
0: pack, and you in particular, were taking on some other prosecutor races in some other cities. How did
1: that go, and uh, what was the result of, of of those races? Yeah, we're seeing, I think, um, a little bit of a sea change in the way that we think about prosecutors. Um, one of the things that I've learned as I've learned more about electoral progress, um, politics, and especially at the local level, is that most prosecutors across the country run unopposed, something like 80 or 90 percent. Most are white males. Um, and uh, when those are the decision makers that are at the head of this criminal justice system and they have uh, and they're not running against anyone, there's no accountability. And so because and most
0: of the people in the system are black and brown. People. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Um, uh, and so not only do we need to have people that are um, representative of our communities in those offices. We also need to have people that are not in the pockets of the Fraternal Order of Police, the police unions. Um, we need to have folks that will come with a reform uh, perspective in mind. We need to have folks in office that aren't going to just get up there and spout tough-on-crime rhetoric because they know it will attract, um, via dog whistle, a certain sort of voter to come out in these oftentimes off-year, low-turnout races. Um, And so it's really important, we think, to see uh, more uh, opposition at this level. And so in the past year, we've helped to elect district attorneys and state attorneys and prosecutors across the country, like Kim Fox in Cook County. That was, I think, one of the first big moments to see um, her elected. Aramis Ayala is the first Black woman state's attorney in Florida, uh, in in Orlando, Asialo County. County, and she's uh, uh, an amazing example of the type of prosecutor that we want to have in office, not only beyond just being a black woman and caring about our issues, she came up very early against the death penalty. I was going to ask you, it's like um, often progressives work really hard to get people
0: in office only to see some of those same candidates not, when the rubber hits the road, Mm -hmm. when the police shoot an unarmed black man and it's time to hold people to account... That's when we see the measure of that elected official. What So what? when she took an early stand against the death penalty, and I believe, and I, I uh, read that uh, she said she was not going to seek death penalty in, in these cases. Um,
1: exactly. And yeah. she's faced a lot of backlash from Republicans in Florida. The, the governor has stripped her of her budget, thre- re- removed her from her cases that could be death penalty cases, has threatened to remove her from office. And so the lesson for us is, it's not just going to be enough to get these folks in office once they get there, and especially if they take stances that will stem the tide of mass incarceration for black people, that there's going to be continued opposition. Yeah, I
0: could just I was remembering Marilyn Mosby when she came out and mm-hmm. said, I was gonna, I'm going to charge the officers who killed the young man in police custody.
1: Yeah, so there's backlash. And so we really think about our work at Color of Change PAC as not only electing folks that we think better representing us, represent us, but also once they get in office, we have to both hold them accountable and also have their back when they face attacks. Um, and so I think that's going to be a newer theme. But I think what we've seen through the election of Kim Fox and Aramis Ayala and Kim Og uh, and, and Harris County um uh, and Larry Krasner Tuesday in Philadelphia is that we're signaling to folks, if you want to run, there's support for this. This is the time to see, run. See, and I want to just... We're sitting in Oakland, California. Now, this is a national
0: podcast, but 58 DAs are up in California next year. So I don't think the focus really has been amongst the national progressive movements on DA races. Is that going to change for states like California that have so many? And I don't know if the demographics are different or, this, or similar to what you're saying in terms of overwhelmingly white men who are these... Uh, these DAs who make these life and death decisions,
1: what what do you see as the future of places like California? I think it's going to become a big conversation. And criminal justice reform in uh, California has really been leading on the front end of criminal justice reform through a number of the propositions that we've seen over the past several years. And we we are currently monitoring about a dozen races in the state, one in Alameda County, right? Right. Um, here in our home, um, that we think will be very significant. And so I would imagine that it's going to be an important conversation. Some of these district attorneys races also match up with House races that Republicans currently sit at in in the state. Oh, the ones that cozy up to Trump, is what you're saying. The ones
0: who helped pass the bill, the health care legislation.
1: Exactly. And so... We think, well, for black voters especially, if I could talk about black voters for a minute, there's a lot of reasons, I think, to be disenchanted by the national political conversation. There's a lot of reasons to be disenchanted about about local politics, if we're being really honest. honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But we think if we can begin to talk about these district attorneys' races and the power that they hold, that for black folks, they make the connection immediately. Uh, You know, what it means to have a prosecutor who's against cash bail. They understand what that means. Because the cash bail, and I just have to say a little caveat, you're a lawyer. So uh,
0: you're a political advocate, you run a political you know, action committee, and you have the law and the understanding of the law. So just break down in a couple
1: of sentences, what is the cash bail issue? Sure. So I think the The easiest example um, that we all sort of know about is the example of Sandra Bland and the tragic story of her life. Now, Sandra Bland was driving just outside of Houston in Waller County, uh, got pulled over for failing to signal and was arrested uh, for failing to signal um, or for whatever reason they sort of came up with. She was put into the local county jail, couldn't get a hold of her family and couldn't make a $5,000 cash bail to bail herself out. And so spent days and days in prison. Uh, police say that she committed suicide in, pres- in prison. Her family has disputed that. Yeah, but none of, of us believe that. None of yeah. us believe that. Um, but it's an example of, you know, for a simple traffic violation. First some, of all, why is she getting arrested? Why is she getting arrested? Lots of questions. And we went down and we did an investigation after that happened. What it actually was going on? Why? Why was she stuck there? why we believe that Sandra Bland shouldn't even have been there. Um, and one of the things that we discovered, we, uh, Color of Change members fundraised for to hire a private investigator. We sent someone down, and what we saw was massive corruption. The sheriff's station was handing out cards for the local bondsmen. The judge um, profited from uh, uh, different bonds. There was a whole set of corruption around the bail industry. Um, and so it got us talking and thinking and wanting to research and understand more uh, the power of this industry. Um, and the reality is it's a it's a for-profit scheme. It's, it's one of the other places where black people and other incarcerated people and their families are exploited in this system. And so what would it look like and the people that are punished most. Most people think, oh, you can bail yourself out. How great. But the people who can't afford to get stuck into a cycle of poverty. So you can't bail yourself out. You don't make it to your job interview. And I think that was one of the issues that Sandra Bland was. Right. She was on her or, way. Yeah, she I was remember. on her way. And it just didn't, uh, uh, you can't pick up your kid from childcare. All sorts of things start to happen when, uh, if you can't just pay a small bill that other folks who have much more privilege and access to wealth can. Um, and so having prosecutors in office who are not going to abide by that system, um, and continuing and now targeting these insurance companies and other corporations that profit from this bail system is going to be a big area of focus. We just released a report recently on the bail industry because a lot of folks just don't know uh, how harmful yeah, or corrupt. And you mentioned this corruption. It's
0: disgusting. Can you tell me, is California doing something? Is there some
1: legislation on its way? Are they... In- you know, I don't I, I don't know specifically on California. Um, I'm still caught up in um, Philadelphia. But uh, as we look at the district attorney's races in California, we're hoping that we'll see that, just like in Philadelphia, there are candidates to choose between. Um, and we're hoping to see for the first time—like, it's unheard of, unheard of to have a debate in a district attorney's race. Um, and how— what does that say about our democracy that we're not even we don't we don't we don't even get a choice mm. in this matter. And so that's what we're really trying to encourage. Um, we think black voters and Latino voters get this. Uh, we also believe that a district attorney's office is a pipeline for many candidates of color. So many folks start out just as, as as prosecutors, you know, become AGs, um, you know, if we think about. Kamala, as a, as an example of yeah. uh, sort of like another route. And we just think it's it's uh, another way to sort of broaden the pipeline of people of color who can run for elective o- office in the future.
0: And so the recruitment mm-hmm. of candidates who get this reformist perspective, many of whom will be people of color, perhaps, uh and also, the opportunity for people to participate in some of these uh, text-a-thons, which its probably something that the PAC's involved with. And yeah. yeah, Well yeah.
1: yeah, well, the recruitment is a, a bigger thing, and uh, I think there's a lot of work to do to change the culture and mentality around how we as black people view going to the district attorney's office. It's not something that when I was in law school, I thought if I was going to go into criminal justice, I'd go to the public defender's office. Like, I don't want to work for the man. Um, but uh, I, I I wish that I had the sort of level of wokeness and understanding about the power of prosecutors then um, to understand that this is a decision maker who has power to influence um, many people's lives, um, the people that I care most about. And so... I think it's about having a broader cultural conversation, you know, even at the law school level, about what a social justice approach could look like mm. uh, and what many people believe is sort of like the police's um, office. Mm. And this is
0: yet one of many, many things you're working on. And I, uh, today uh, the news came uh, down that Roger Ailes, who was the— uh, former head of Fox News, who was, I don't know, I don't want to say deposed, but uh, basically all the uh, accusations of uh, sexual mis- sexual harassment, mis- misconduct sort of brought him down. Um, it seems like it's the end of an era, but uh, you were behind a big campaign that uh, took on Bill O'Reilly, who had the same sort of sexual harassment uh, uh, accusations and charge and history over years. Um, tell me about how you ended up taking down Bill O'Reilly.
1: Sure. I mean, this has been a long campaign. And for us at Color of Change, building off work that we had done years ago, uh, removing Glenn Beck from Fox News, getting hundreds and hundreds of advertisers to no longer advertise on his show, despite it still having incredibly high ratings because of some of his the racist rhetoric that he was spewing about a new President Obama at the time. Uh, but... Fox News has continued to be, and not just what's going on behind the scenes at Fox News. I think that's the sort of new, newer development in the last couple of years. Uh, but just watching it and seeing the rhetoric and the stories that they tell about Black people, about Black women, how they've criminalized Black people and Black women, and how uh, it is a vehicle for a very influential Significant segment of our population. There are some people that only watch Fox News, and the only time they see a black person is on Fox News or on their local news. Yeah, at night. it's just
0: overwhelming how they conduct themselves without a sense of responsibility. It's not a sense of responsibility to the broader public.
1: Right, right, right. No, and so we've we've we have been campaigning around Fox News and and in terms of our broader media justice work because we believe the images that they produce are so hostile to Black people and um, increase the bias, perpetuate and increase bias of the, the audience that's watching. Uh, and so these sort of newer revelations in the last year over the sexual harassment allegations, the racial harassment allegations that have come forth are disturbing and yet not surprising given the tone and tenor of the content that we've seen.
0: But you've been trying to take Bill O'Reilly down, it sounds like, for a long time.
1: But what was the tipping point? I think, you know, a series of missteps. I think, you know, he started the week criticizing um, Maxine Waters.
0: Okay. Oh, he he took on anti maxi which is by Congresswoman Maxine Waters, yes, who's been one
1: of the most outspoken critics of Trump
0: and the Republicans.
1: Yes. He made a very sexist comment to start the week. The next day, uh, the New York Times released an article uh, that stated for the first time that these huge payments had been made for settlements, Um, that and combined with the fact that he had just been given a new contract. Um, And... Uh, At that time, we thought, okay, um, you know, he's these things have been around about him before and he survived it um, in the same way that we have a president um, that seems to be made of Teflon um, when it comes to these things. There's a lot of reasons to believe that this didn't that this wasn't going to be a tipping point. Um, But we, again, began reaching out to advertisers as we do. So what does that look like on the back end? I mean, you're. Do you, you look at the advertisers and... We have folks monitoring across the country, um, seeing who's who's who has ads up and their color change members and they're reporting back. We're sending emails and letters and calling decision makers within corporations, um, asking them to hop on the phone so that we can express our concerns about their continued support of that network. Um, And so we were engaged in several conversations with corporations, asking them what they want to do. Now, a lot of corporations, and we do a lot of corporate accountability work, they don't want to admit that they're making a decision because of public pressure. They like to just sort of make these decisions in a vacuum, do them quietly, slowly pull their ad down and, you know, put it back up. And so a big part of our work in these crisis moments are to force Corporate actors on on the record on the public record. Maybe you've made a decision, but we want to hear that you've made it. Even if you're going to deny on the record that you made this decision because of X, Y, Z, we want to hear you say we have decided not to uh, run our ads anymore. God, it
0: sounds like you're in a lot of these uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. What's that like?
1: I think they're kind of fun, but um, it's it's they can be interesting um oftentimes if you're if you're lucky and and you've you've identified a campaign or an issue that really matters that isn't like the petty kind but it's like someone and and you get in contact with a, a person internally who also knows that it that it matters it can be um, A really important inside-outside partnership. And so what you hope for when you reach out to companies is that you get in touch with that communications director or that diversity person inside who actually knows, like, this is a problem. And what I need is to have someone else saying that this is a problem so I can move this conversation.
0: See, they never talk about that aspect of advocacy, which is to find good people that work for the organizations that might Be doing what
1: they can. Mm-hmm. These huh. are big. A lot of these things are big systems, but there are also individual decision makers, and um, oftentimes these decisions are led by folks who might not identify as activists or advocates, but they they've been on the inside. They've bought their time. They've built their power, and they have because of their position and opportunity to pick some battles. And um, in the best sense, color. At my favorite times are working with folks that we know, at least that they might not have the power to make the decision, but we know this person is with us. Um, some of the harder conversations are when corporations think that they can sort of like pay you off to sort of um, shut up and go away. Um, and they're not hard because, you know, color of change has a policy that we don't, accept corporate donations, but um, they can be sort of frustrating, the notion that we're here to just get money and that we what don't do, care about the impact. What do they the do? They like, oh,
0: we'll write your check for 50000
1: or something.
0: I, I, how does it, is it that crass?
1: I mean, just... Not that crass. It's more like, I, we'd love to explore more partnership opportunities, or have you heard about this tool? Um, I don't think anybody's ever offered a check um, uh, sometimes they'll sort of you know there are better ways to go about this than to launch a public campaign and sort of we get it sort <laughs> we'll, of a talk well handle it'll
0: we'll handle it uh, in the, you know, in the back room, yeah, but, but in fact, your campaign, uh, just at the scale of it um for Bill O'Reilly, thirteen million dollars in settlements to five women who came forward with sexual harassment claims. you got a hundred corporations to drop their support of Fox News. How much was that worth to Fox?
1: Oh, I, I forget what it, what it came to. And you know, I think one of the the pieces of the campaign that you didn't see, and if Bill O'Reilly had held on longer, the pivot would have been, was that we were in the process of going back to corporations who had basically just moved their commercials. Uh, they hadn't they, they moved their commercials from Bill O'Reilly's program, but they went over to Hannity's program. And so there wasn't like a real loss of money. And so we were in the process of going back to folks and saying like, "This isn't enough." There hasn't been action taken. We're going to come Like, after... what are
0: some of the names of the companies that... Uh, Pepsi, uh,
1: Ancestry.com, Jenny Craig. Um, uh, we, we mainly focus on the large national brands. Uh, there is, like, a niche element to Fox. And over the years, as, as they've been the target of more campaigns, there are more local sponsors, and there can be harder um, to target. Um, but we try to go after the sort of big national brands who we think have an investment or at least should care about bla- how black people feel about them. Um and so I think it was a combination of the the corporations forcing the corporations to go on the record about their decision to move uh their their ads but also there was just always this feeling sort of like what's happening with the white house that there's going to be another shooter drop the no, next day. Every day. Every day. Every, every day. day. It's really stressful. It's
0: extremely stressful. I'm getting You know, shingles. You can't get shingles. That's that's not. okay. no, that's the wrong thing. Maybe hives. Maybe hives. Um, uh, Looking at the news that's coming out, and by the time people hear this podcast, there'll be more. Who knows? Um, uh, How do we relate from having a Barack Obama's president to a few short, uh, really, months later, having Trump in that office with all the scandal, all the lies, um, it looks like, people are moving toward at least some kind of investigation, some kind of impeachment. It's not clear what's going to happen. How do black people politically deal with the day? Um, What should we be focused on? What are our issues? How do we react? Anything in there, because we're all looking for a way forward through this mess and not to focus 100 percent on what's the drama that's happening on Trump.
1: Right, right. I don't know that I have the full answer to that, but I think Well, I asked like seven questions. Yeah. I have a tendency to ask seven questions and yeah. say just pick one. Yeah. And just
0: just answer one of those things.
1: Yeah. I, I I I believe that it's really important to be pay pay attention to what's going on. Um I think that this is a critical moment in our broader history and what we can't do is just tune out. Um, we can't turn off our TVs. I, I think we have to confront whatever's happening on a certain level um, and be very, very vigilant about the national level. Uh, and I think we also have to sort of return to the local. What what, what this, you know, 45s election exposed, I think for me and lots of other folks is it's not just about the White House. It's about the 30, 35 states and um, many of which uh, are rich with black folks uh, that are struggling under right-wing regimes that won't pay their Medicare and Medicaid, aren't helping health care. It's like Mississippi. To- where, where are you talking
0: about? Where, where are you thinking?
1: Mississippi, Alabama, those like right-wing, right-wing, where there are lots like the South, basically, the South that we as progressive and Democrats have seeded um, electorally, uh, where
0: But Uh, that doesn't make any sense to seed that because the black community of whom the voters are majority black women, we show up for Democrats sometimes when they don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We show up as the Mm -hmm. highest demographic voters. And we've talked about that Mm -hmm. um, uh, before. So why why is a traditional uh,
1: ignore those states, seed those states? I I couldn't tell you. Um, It feels like we've been locked into this electoral map. Um, for a long time where we have this blue wall and so we focus on those states and if it doesn't work out then okay whatever Um, but I think what Trump's presidency exposes is how dangerous um, and how malleable that map is how um, that how that blue wall won't always hold up and I mean we look at Michigan and we say, mm mm can't mm-hmm, take it for granted, mm-hmm. nope. And and I look at a state like Georgia where there's this special election coming up that cuts through Atlanta and uh all the black people there, um and how loyal black people have been as voters. Like it doesn't make sense that there for me that there isn't more of an investment in states like Georgia and states like Texas.
0: I mean you're singing you're 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 singing the tune that we've been also uh singing here at Democracy and Color, which is that um The Democratic Party, the committees, all of different organizations who invest in campaigns and issues and are trying to win. And they say they're progressive, but if they don't fund turning out black voters, then they're missing the boat. But uh, we we just looked at the spending reports um, this last quarter. Looks like the majority of campaign spending still is on TV ads. What do we need to know about black voters in particular? How do we uh, maximize the power, which is already strong
1: of uh, Black voters, particularly in some of these states? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think we have to move away from thinking about Black mo- voters as a monolithic bunch. Like, we, like, dice all the other folks up into women and mothers and singles. And and um, we come from a very rich, non-monolithic community with vibrant, vibrant subcultures. And so the message that I might send... You know, a fifty-year-old black woman who's voted every single race might be different than the message I send to a younger black voter who is reluctant, or the message that I send to a formerly incarcerated person who is newly eligible to vote in Philadelphia or in Maryland. Um, uh, the the races that I talk about, the issues that I talk about, might be slightly different. But beyond that, I think we have to have candidates that we believe in, that are believable, that have values that align with the values that we care about. And we have to be uh, engaged and talked to because, again, we have a lot of reasons to mistrust, uh, you know, government. We have a lot of reasons to just say, you know what, I'm not going to participate in this system. But I also believe that um, participation will lead to much more improved impacts for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important. I hope that I don't want black voters and black people to be taken for granted. It
0: feels like we have been. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: it uh,
1: particularly when uh, we
0: are approached six weeks before Election Day mm-hmm. and no one's knocked on our door, you know, before that. Mm-hmm. And just said, "Oh, we can assume that," uh, and that's not just black people; it's other people of color. Mm-hmm. We can assume that they'll, uh, and they'll, and they're they're the voters who go to the polls and stand in the lines and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's assumptions there, mm-hmm.
1: and that, that there's been an assault, a targeted assault on black voters, um, from the voter suppression schemes that we saw the Trump administration push online, to voter ID laws, to cuts to early voting. Uh, No one is trying to make it easier for us to, like, exercise this right. Um, And so much more investment is needed in early organizing, early voter education. Much more investment is needed in candidate recruitment and, frankly, candidate both policy and communications training on, like, how to talk to black voters, um, what are the issues that they care about. Um, and so I think Trump's presidency, I, I, I try to find the hope in things as an organizer. And so I'm hoping that it opens a new set of opportunities. I'm hoping that uh, we are not going to continue to abide by this 2008, you know, Obama map of, um, uh uh, but that we're are going to take seriously um looking at a very large map that's aimed at taking back the house um taking back the state governor's offices um so that's what that's what I'm hopeful for, like whether that materializes or not i have. No idea. Well, you, <laughs> Stay you're tuned. perfectly
0: positioned, um, <laughs> coming off of the win at the local race with uh, with uh, Krasner, but also the big vision. Um, and how many members does Color Change have? Just over 1.2 million now. That's huge. Yeah, um, still growing. Yeah, still growing. I'm a member. Come join us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was g- <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're going to Georgia next. And there is a race there that's got me so excited. Um, are you, are you uh, talking about Stacey Abrams for governor, her race? Or?
1: I mean, we saw the announcement, like every like everyone else, and it's 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 very exciting to see. We She'd so- be the
0: first black woman to be governor of any state. I mean, any state two hundred forty one years mm-hmm. of history, and um, uh, but she's also a progressive, and she's mm-hmm. totally focused on voters of of color in terms of engaging everyone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a big deal, and you know, we already have an example of what it looks like to have a black candidate that we trust you know, up high on the ballot. Um, And so uh, for us, this, you know, CD6 special election is important because of... Ossoff, that
0: would be the congressional race with John Ossoff. Yes, that's
1: important um, because we're hoping to signal that folks are fed up and that they want to check on the system, but it's also important for broader, longer-term organizing implications in Georgia, which we think is a state that is unignorable if you care about black people it's like
0: teetering on blue Mm -hmm. it's just about to could in in six years georgia's going to be majority people of color and i know demographics isn't everything but you know imagine the investment proper investment was made uh uh ossoff becomes a congressman and then uh we could win a statewide seat with uh, stacy abrams as governor and then the state is blue and then 2020 we're ready Mm -hmm. and i i think about um the implications of the work that you're doing and our ability to um, win. Are you are you optimistic about the congressional races coming up in
1: 2018? Um. <laughs> Am I an optimist? No, that uh, got really exorcist no, like, over me it, for it, a second. Are
0: you, um, do you see a path to victory? How about that?
1: I see uh, we have to win. Um, that's sort of my mentality. I think there is a huge hill to climb. I don't think anything was predetermined at this point. And so I, like, reject any mindset that's like, okay, we got it figured out, we're never gonna lose again, because I feel like, you, you know, are we, lost we, yeah, we lose a lot, you know? <laughs> As people that are trying to overchange or overturn the status quo, like we lose. We lose a lot. Um, so it's <laughs> nice and honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what kills me is people will turn
0: around and ask advice from the same people who delivered us those stunning losses. And it usually is about ignoring the vo- the voters who are mm-hmm. most loyal, mm-hmm. uh, at least a voting uh, Democratic mm-hmm. Party um, mm-hmm. includes black voters. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll speak yeah, color change pack. You know, we are a predominantly black, predominantly woman-led uh, staff, predominantly, disproportionately queer. Um, and so... Meaning
0: proportion would be 10%? Uh, uh, I guess. Uh,
1: What's disproportionate? Like we're well over. <laughs> um, intersectional. Intersectional. Yeah. Um, and so we, I think, naturally come to the work, whether it's electoral work or campaign work, with a level of humility. Um we don't ever feel like we're supposed to win. Um, um, Sometimes I think that that, uh, we have to interject a little bit more like hope and um, positivity, but sometimes I wish that the broader movement also had that sense of humility. I think it leads to improved results, improved processes. And so, I mean, I hope that we've had that aha moment well, um, you're part of the aha um,
0: I mean <laughs> you're bringing that um that vision but also really grounded in um, a solid approach to success because we're so if you can be humble and have success it's better than being a braggart and losing every single time mm-hmm. based on what did they say um if you do things the way it's always been done then you can't expect anything to ever be different mm. I know I just did that wrong but uh, okay uh, our producer Lulu Matute uh, c- comes up with a this or that so don't overthink this okay all right uh, in an alternate universe Al Gore or Bernie Sanders as president Bernie oh
1: Bernie uh, he has a podcast too by the way <laughs> just, saw I, that just today. Met, I just met him in person Tuesday oh what's he like the same I was kind of struck like the same. The same what? Like kind of you know, charming but grouchy and thoughtful and yeah, kind of the same. Value centered, kind of the same as he projects on TV. I was a little bit that's hard to to do. Surprised by it. It's
0: hard to be that authentic.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Humid summer
0: or (laughs) below or below zero winter.
1: Humid summer.
0: Because you've been spending time in what? Were you DC? That's like a.
1: Yeah, well, I am I was born in Texas, raised in California, so I'm, like, weak. When I'm it. super weak, too. I don't, I don't, yeah. The don't, weather yeah. defeats me. Yeah, I don't It's kryptonite. Do that. Wait, the winter defeats yeah. you. Yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> so I, so I, I've now, I've been traveling a lot because I actually try to avoid D.C. and New York, which is, the other two places color change has offices, but I try to avoid it in the winter, but, you know, it's warm again, so I can go back. Are you spending most of your time in D.C. now, or? no. Most of my time, a lot of places. <laughs> You're I'm on the road. spending most of my time anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're just on the road. Yeah.
0: Representing everywhere.
1: Yeah. Checking that. in with folks. You know, our staff is growing. I love our campaign staff. We're also always running a million campaigns. How big is your staff? Down.
0: You must have a big group.
1: Um, the campaign staff is just over 25 now, um, but lots of support and operations staff. And, um, But it's been, you know... Color of Change has been around 11 years now. I've, I've been there about five years. And, you know, it started as an organization where everybody worked around a living room table. Like, that's how the Glenn Beck campaign was run, from someone's living room. Really? Um, they always talk
0: about the story of, like, you know, Apple computer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this, you're doing such major national stuff. And it also, not maybe in a garage, but in someone's kitchen, mm-hmm.
1: around a table. Yeah. I mean, oh, we've got right. offices now, so... And um, we don't, we don't, we don't. Although our staff would like to be virtual and work from home, we still have offices and office hours. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey to see the growth of this organization, and we feel like while well, we've done some great work, there's so much more that we could do. Um, so we're daily challenged by the things that we see in the world. I saw
0: it when, um, it was just this week, uh, Hillary Clinton announced her new organization and she called out
1: Color of Change. Yeah, that was nice. That That was nice. nice. How'd you feel? I mean, there are worse (laughs) things. I was flattered. I mean, like I said, we come with humility. We lose more than we win. And so appreciation... I would have liked nice. to see her
0: campaign spend a lot more on black voters. <laughs> I
1: mean, I'm just, I can say it. You mm-hmm. maybe not say it. I can say it. Mm-hmm. I would like. That's great. The uh, thing that it reiterates for me is that, you know, there was a time that we were campaigning against the Hillary campaign around taking private prison donations. Um, we also engaged black voters because we thought she was better than the alternative. And we still believe that, not that it wasn't even close. Um, and so for me, it's. For her to sort of shout us out, it's a positive reiteration that you can be hard on folks and then show up for folks, and that um, there can be and, and, and yeah, we're not all enemies all the time, and we're not. You know, I I think it's I think it's a positive, I think it's a positive thing.
0: Maybe she's learned.
1: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing shade. At it. I don't
0: even need. I don't even need to. It's fine. All right. Uh, all right. If you had to go back in time. Technologically speaking, flip phone or Windows ninety eight desktop.
1: Which would I rather? Which would you rather do? I can I pick the pager? I would love to go back to pager days. Oh
0: my god, I love the pager. (laughs) Remember
1: that was a status symbol. Yeah. Oh excuse
0: me, someone's paging. Yeah.
1: I didn't even have voicemail, but it was like that was my high school experience. We had pager codes (laughs) to communicate. Oh, the codes? Yeah. What was the so well, you could like write words with the numbers. Right. So like a 1 was an i or a 2 was an r. And so you would we would type out numerically or 143 meant love. All the sort of I feel like it was like the genesis of all these little idks and lols sort of uh-huh. I feel like started with these like pager codes cuz you didn't you couldn't type letters. You could only type numbers.
0: Oh, and the only one I learned how to do is on my
1: calculator, hello. Remember, you could it do it exactly upside down. That was exactly what <laughs> pagers were. Okay. Do you, Are you a fan of Shondaland? Yes, but I'm like not at all up on the season. No time to watch TV is what you're saying? I've really gotten into the binge thing. So I feel really, I like being able to watch everything at one in, in one or two sittings. Okay, so what, are you I, watching? what are you watching? Um, I've been watching Handmaid's Tale, which is not a binge thing, but it brings me back Wednesdays. Haven't watched the last episode. Um, What else have I been watching? Aziz Ansari. Did you watch his? His... Uh, Not yet. Not yet. But it's next on the list. Um, I feel like I just... I've been watching Going In and Out of Guerrilla, which I find interesting. It's a Showtime show Mm -hmm. about... um, a couple that breaks out a black radical in nineteen sixties UK uh, and sort of it's it's interesting I find. It's called Gorilla. Gorilla. I'm gonna
0: put that on my list. My list is so long. Yeah. I don't know
1: about yours. I just you know. Yeah. I no. either watch
0: for like twelve hours straight or like not at all. Yeah.
1: No, they're piling up a little bit on me. So, I'm I'm due for like a spring break, like a week where I can just binge on everything. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. What keeps you going? My family, the people I work with, I am so lucky to work with the people that I work with. Like, I think I'm just living in, like, a black utopia daily, um, I taking for granted for so many years um, my entire life for what it meant, you know, for what it means to be able to, like, walk into work. You know, the other day I had, like, a braid fall out of my hair and, like— Folks on staff were, like, we're, like, watching YouTube videos trying to figure out how to, like, rebraid my hair. And I'm just, like, (laughs) nowhere else could I do this. Um, So, I, you know, I love my staff. I I do this work for my family um, that hasn't had the same opportunities or privileges that I have. And so... um, my work feels like very connected to improving the livelihood of my family.
0: Well, it is so good to hear about the wonderful work that you are doing on, in the world, for the world, um, and for the black community. So thank, thank you, Arisha mm-hmm. Hatch, for joining us on Democracy in Color.
1: Thank you for me. You're awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Democracy in Color. And this episode was recorded at Skyline Studios in Oakland, California, produced by Lula Matute and edited by Brian Matheson. Special thanks to Sonia Lewis and our team at Democracy in Color, Charlene Chang, Olivia Parker, Steve Phillips, Luli Osher, and Julie Martinez. You can listen to future episodes on democracyincolor.com, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, which is new, and iTunes. You can also connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. So until next time, thanks for joining us.